Haini pi, haini pi. Haini pi, hidikaragiwi, waziregi, waga nakshana. Wajaniwina, jankishana, hidikaragiwina. Hanach ni pi, arajara wi. Pierre G. Wahu nakshana. Hamte harmihe hamche. We waikabra, kerapana noop naga, arawangche. Hiji kerekcha wi. Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic, and I hope everyone else is as well. What was so much going on in the world today, and there is so much going on in the world today, or maybe there's always been a lot going on in the world and we just weren't aware of it. I don't know. Anyways, I was just thinking that maybe we could spend a couple of minutes together and just talk about our tiny little piece of it and see if maybe we can get together and put together a cohesive plan that lifts all of us up, culturally and economically. See if we can figure out how to fit that plan in the world around us, and maybe just do a little better than yesterday. First thing I'd like to do today is to thank all of you who take a moment out of your busy lives to give this podcast a listen. It means a lot to me, you sharing the second greatest gift that Creator has bestowed upon all of us, your time. The second thing, thanks to all of you who take time to share your thoughts, ideas, and criticisms with me. Without your feedback, this podcast is akin to me standing on a soapbox in the middle of the woods at midnight, screaming into the darkness, and vehemently shaking my fat little fist into the dark sky. Pointless and a little ridiculous. But you do respond, and that makes it all worthwhile. With the whole chunk nation citizens living all over the world now, I think that it's important for the nation to have a forum. We can get together and discuss the operation of our nation in an open and frank manner. That's what we hope to provide here in this podcast. We'll have to do until someone else comes along and gives us something a little bit better. If you'd like to get in touch with me, ring me up if you have my number. I'm in my office practically all the time, so I can be reached at any time. If the improbable happens and I don't answer, it means I'm on the other line. So leave a message and I'll get back to you. If you don't have my number, fear not, fellow traveler, we can still make this happen. My Gmail address is moneycucksick at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. And it it is open 24-7. I'm really good at answering my email, so please feel free to contact me and offer me any thoughts and suggestions. I'll get back ASAP, if not sooner. I'm pretty active on the Chipotle Facebook page. Within the past weeks, I've uh, sloughed off on offering original content, but I have been posting articles that I find interesting and I think are germane to our germane to our growth. If you are comfortable using Facebook, reach out to us here and we can conversate. The other social media sites, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, are vehicles that the Chipotle Podcast uses to reach out to our listeners. Some social media sites are more successful than others, and some are more germane to our audience than others. It's our job here at the Chipotle Podcast to put forth messaging on all these social media sites and see what type of messaging Ho-Chunks are more receptive to. As of right now, we're more active on different sites because we're more comfortable with some and kind of unsure of others. Can't be all that bad, though, right? Uh, We'll see going forward. Before we begin with my weekly diatribe, I wanted to put something out here that I posted a while ago. It's about sharing ideas and making those ideas a reality. 
Too many times we get these ideas rolling around in our melons, but we're afraid or too lazy to implement these ideas. If you put anything out there, you can't be humiliated when the idea flops. You can't be embarrassed and everybody says that this is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen or heard, right? You don't have to listen to family talk about the litany of failures that the Ho-Chunk Nation and citizens have put forth. But when you step back and look at it, there really aren't that many over the years. We really aren't the kind of people who chase after new ideas, it seems. We are very sedate when it comes to creation, invention, and implementation. That has to change. Sure, the nation has had some spectacular failures, and some have cost us millions, and some haven't. But the one thing we stick with is our casinos. Oh, yes, and the steady income of gaming has given us the illusion of success. Sometimes we place people in charge who have failed miserably, but the absolute sheer volume of gaming participants has kept us in the black. But we really don't have people creating new ventures every week, do we? We don't have this environment of startups and entrepreneurships. How come we don't have hundreds of businesses or business failures? Where are our authors, playwrights, filmmakers, musicians, singers, architects, farmers, welders, program designers, and coders? Where is our pool of creatives fighting for funding or starting businesses in their garages? Where is our creative Silicon Valley? When gaming first came on the scene for us, it's as if our creativity dried up. It's as if our ability to dream died along with per cap. Perhaps I'm being a tad bit melodramatic, but where are our entrepreneurs? How come we don't see a huge trail of failed individual business ventures? Is it because we stopped trying, stopped dreaming, or simply decided to wait on our gaming revenues to list us from our mundane lives? I used to listen to Les Brown. He's a motivational speaker of some renown, and the two things that I remember him saying, the two things that always stood out to me are, one, life has no limitations except the ones you make. Too many of us are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. And two, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid. My point is we don't know what tomorrow may bring. Two of the most terrifying thoughts occupying my mind right now is what happens if the Holland versus Brackeen goes against us. Everything we rely on as an institution could be taken away from us. What happens if the state of Wisconsin does away with our gaming compacts and opens the entire state to gaming from whomever? What have we done to prepare for the eventuality? There are 7,800 Ho-Chunks out there. Where are our ideas and dreams? Hey, if your dream is to work 40 hours a week, have a couple of nice cars and a beautiful home and vacation in Cancun every year, every other year, fantastic. But what about you people who dream of ideas? What about you people who see an idea in your mind and you want to work to bring this idea to life? How many of us would rather give up breathing than give up on our dreams? We all get caught up in this regimented thought pattern of who we are and who we have to live in this tiny slot to be true to ourselves. I want to write plays in Ho-Chunk. I want to shoot films, noir movies in Ho-Chunk. Not only would it be cool to see some hard-nosed Ho-Chunk sitting behind a desk in some beautiful, dimly lit office when a mysterious Ho-Chunk woman comes in and offers him some outlandish case 
all in black and white with some great dialogue. It would be fantastic and hysterical. Why haven't I done it? Because I'm too darn lazy to learn and learn to speak and write Ho-Chung fluently and learn about filmmaking. But what if I had had guts to do this? My work may have been garbage, but other Ho-Chungs could have seen the possibilities of my work and built something wonderful off of that dream. Remember the filmmaker Ed Wood who made a career of garbage films and books? But he followed his dreams and had a career. And other people thought, geez, if that turd can do it, so can I. Dreams beget dreams. We have Ho-Chunks who are successful right now working their dreams. Darren Price with BP Smokehouse. Colin Price with B-Team Strategy and Hana Development. Anne Thundercloud with Thundercloud Communications. Joe Brown Thunder of Buffalo Nickel Creative. There are McAndrew brothers. Ken McAndrew runs Kilo Delta LLC out of Baraboo, while his brother, Ken McAndrew, operates Warrior Avenue LLC out of Black River Falls. Robert Pilot of Native Roots Radio Network and I'm Awake Radio Program. There's the artist Jim Terry and his sister Elena Terry with the nonprofit Wild Berries, and Nate Funmaker with Nathaniel's Customs Hats. I'm sure there are others who have established businesses or nonprofits outside of the Ho Chunk Nation but I'm presently ignorant of them. These peoples and others like them need to be lauded for chasing a dream, for living a dream, that doesn't rely on punching a clock for someone else. The old adage, if you're not working on your dreams, you're working on someone else's dreams, is all too true. I really only have three goals for my whole chunk nation right now. Things could change, but as of right now, they are, one, every Ho-Chunk learn to read and write Ho-Chunk, read and write the Ho-Chunk language fluently. Yes, I am a huge cripit, hypocrite. I know a few words, but I couldn't conjugate my way out of a wet paper bag. Two, to see our government separate business from government. This means all business, including gaming. Three, to see the Ho-Chunk Nation have a flourishing entrepreneurial environment with hundreds of independent Ho-Chunk-owned and managed businesses all intricately intertwined within our communities and a dominant society. The best way to complain is to make things better. The best way to make things better is to make better things. Let's start making better things. Good evening, everyone. Tonight is the 25th of May, and I guess we're all kind of waiting on the uh, Holland Brackeen decision, which was supposed to come down in June. So I thought I would give a little. Um, uh, outline of what's at stake. We did had done a um, an interview, a talk about how uh, or the uh, ICWA case a while back, and had to do. We basically uh, kept it on the children, but we I thought we'd talk a little bit more about what's involved. So I thought I would ask my brother to come on, John Warner. John, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? Oh, uh, busy, busy. Uh, there's uh, quite a lot going on here with this thing, and I just. I thought I would just start off by giving us a basic uh, outline, and then we'll kind of go from there. But um, what is it? Uh, Holland versus uh, Holland v. Brackeen is a uh, pending Supreme Court case brought on by the states of Texas, Louisiana, and Indiana, and individual plaintiffs that seeks to declare ICWA unconstitutional. Um, there's three additional cases that were consolidated at the same time to be heard. They were uh, Cherokee Nations for Brackeen. Uh, Texas versus Holland and Brackeen versus Holland, which is weird because uh, Holland versus Brackeen is the pending Supreme Court case. Anyways, 
questions that were presented. Uh, whether various provisions of the Indian Child Welfare Act violate the anti-commandeering doctrine of the Tenth Amendment, the non-delegation doctrine, Congress's limited authority under the Indian Commerce Clause or the Equal Protection Component of the Fifth Amendment, and whether the petitioners have standing. So, Mr. Warner, um, where do we start with this? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I guess let's start at the basis of Indian child welfare. What is it? Maybe a lot of people don't really understand what it is, but uh, the Indian Child Welfare uh, Act was developed uh, during, so I I guess let's get to the India policy. So right now we're in um, the era of self-determination. And with all Indian policies, they call it the swing of the pendulum. Sometimes it's very pro-native and sometimes it's very anti-native. Right now, with the self-determination era of Indian policy in the United States, we're in that the positive portion. And that was uh, with Indian, um, the Indian Child Welfare Act was brought around in, I believe it was 78. Um, so what it does is it protects the Indian children, those that could be enrolled and those that are enrolled. So what had happened was, um, you know, the, the kids were being taken away at a, a, a monumental, I think they did a study when they uh, approved ICWA, and it was about 25 to 30% of Native American children were actually being removed from the homes and being adopted outside of the tribe. And what it was, what was happening was state agencies were coming in and uh, to the reservations, uh, and they were taking the children away. Uh, they were taking, and this was post uh, uh, boarding school. So when they closed the boarding schools, you know that that's where they first rounded up all the kids. This was kind of the second level, the second act two of removing Indian children uh, from the families and trying to make them into the you know the old adage of kill the Indian or save the man, kill the Indian. So that's what ICWA was designed to do, is designed to protect Indian children. And, and it was intended to ensure that the, the tribe itself could intervene on behalf of those children and ensure that those children stay within their cultural, uh, the, the language and their culture and within their extended families of Native people. Because as you know, brother, uh, <laughs> we have a large extended family. So... We call each other brother because of our, 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 our kinship, right? Correct. So that's what the intent behind uh, ICWA was for. It was to ensure that those Indian children stay with the Indian tribe itself and make sure that uh, we're here, uh, that we that we can continue to be Indians into the future so we don't lose our membership, right? That's what ICWA is for, and that's about where we are with the policy. But this case is very interesting because – there's a lot of non-tribal uh, or non-interested parties uh, from the Brackeen side, from the Texas, Indiana, uh, and those. There's big money supporting this, and that's what I think you wanted to get to, correct? Well, that's one of the major issues. But one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on before we get into the Judah is um, what exactly are they, what are they saying? What is the Brackeen uh, lawsuit saying? What What is their fundamental argument? Uh, why is ICWA being challenged? How is it being challenged? So the, the basis of what they're trying to say is that 
Indians are not are Native Americans are a race of people. They are not a uh, a political entity. So per the Constitution, we're, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the U.S. Constitution specifically says twice it talks about Indians. It doesn't talk about men, doesn't talk about women, doesn't talk about black people. It specifically talks about Indians. And it delegates the authority in the Constitution to the federal government. In other words, it's in the Commerce Clause with Native Americans. You know, they can treat with uh, other other uh, countries and the Indian tribes and then the no-tax uh, Indians. So we, based on the... Uh, based on the Indian policy and based on federal Indian law and the cases that have been before says that we're not a race of people, but we are a political entity, a, de- a dependent sovereign nation or dependent um, domestic nation under the U S. So that was, uh, uh, that was some of the, uh, Oh, I'm having a brain fart here. Well, yeah, that was the, the Marshall trilogy basically is what that that's where that doctrine comes from. So what Brad Keen is trying to get at is they're trying to say that, you know, um, we're 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 Indians aren't uh, political entities. They're a race of people. Therefore, you can't be racist. Uh, you can't be, you know, this, it gets into the whole uh, tearing down all the walls from racism. Right, because there's no race outside of the Native Americans that has a police force, governs themselves, um, that type of thing. Correct. All right. So now that we know basically that it's one of the uh, primary tenets is that we're they're attacking us as being a race and not a political entity. Um, what did I say? Let's see. Uh, gosh darn, I got these notes everywhere here because I just I really wasn't up on it. Oh, here we are. Um, oh, the 10th, uh, 10th Amendment, anti-commandeering doctrine, non-delegation doctrine, and uh, Congress's limited authority. Okay, so all of that basically is just under that same thing where we're a political entity. We're not, and the Constitution says that, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And if you got resold... There's a bunch of articles out there that this is a big discussion in Indian country, and it's really important for a lot of tribes. Uh, I if I remember right, there's uh, actually, do you know who's involved? So there are actually uh, 21 states. Yeah, 23 states and D.C., 497 yeah, and DC. federally recognized tribes and 62 native organizations. Right. And, and 30 welfare organizations, including yeah. international. So, I mean, this is a really big case, right? So it's really important to Indian country. Um, and it's because when when we were, uh, when the United States was being formed, we had the Confederacy before the Constitution. Uh, you, you know, we're a confederated, tri- we're a confederated country before, uh, before we were uh, uh, Republic. a Republican. Yeah. Yeah, a Republic. So during that period, the states had begun negotiating uh, with Indian tribes and uh, taking lands. And that's why you have federally recognized tribes and state recognized tribes. I don't know if you knew this or not, but back in the day, they were actually states were trying to negotiate and and have treaties with um, with Indian tribes so that they could take the land. 
But during that process, while we were trying to establish the U.S. Constitution uh, and move away from the Confederacy, um, you know, the federal government was trying to maintain that authority so that uh, they weren't bad. You know, they were they were poor managers. What they were doing was they were allowing their citizens to go and take land, you know, murder our people and so forth. You know, the genocidal history that we talk about. So <clears throat> that's where this power comes. So it's only the federal government has the authority to negotiate with tribes. And that's part of the Commerce Clause in the Constitution. And that's really what they're trying to get at. So that's one of those tenets that they're trying to argue that the federal government cannot inter- intervene on state issues. So that's where that's what you were asking about on, yeah. on the state issue. Then I guess the last thing um, that we want to talk about was you talked about the children themselves, and I wanted to know uh, if, if the uh, Ho Chunk Nation uh, signed on to that um, that brief. I think we talked about four hundred ninety-seven federal recognized tribes. Uh, did the Ho Chunks uh, sign on to that? Uh, actually, you know, I I never heard about it uh, from anything from any of the. You know, I went to the area meetings. I never heard anything. But I did. I was able to get uh, the the brief, the amicus brief, and it does look like the Ho Chunk Nation did sign off on it in in uh, uh, December of 2019. Uh, I got the court case documents, um, so it does show the Ho Chunk Nation. The only tribe in Wisconsin that did not sign on to the amicus brief uh, was the Oneida tribe. Okay, and finally. Uh, one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on was that aside from the children, which is weird because everything I read says that uh, there's three different lawsuits and what uh, two of the lawsuits, the people have the children so that they shouldn't, they shouldn't have standing in court and that uh, one of the people, I think the mother, the grandmother got the child. But one of the things that kind of... Um, kind of rattled me was that um, if this case goes against um, indigenous nations, then you're talking about uh, land rights, water rights, healthcare, gaming, uh, criminal, civil jurisdiction, everything, basically. I mean, they're going to be chopping at that uh, the sovereignty tree here, and this is just a big major blow to it. Right, and, and that's where we're talking about the big money. So there's a lot of uh, legal uh, people supporting Brackeen and, and the other um, in Texas, and, and they're filing in favor. And the reason they're trying to do that is they're trying to erode our sovereignty by saying that we're a race of people and that we don't have the, the federal government doesn't have the authority, and nor do tribes have the authority to regulate themselves. In other words, you can't be a government. And what does that mean? That means if we can't be a government and the federal government can't make laws and treaty with us as Native people in the Americas, what it does is it says, okay, they're no longer in uh, a government. They're just a race of people. They don't have casinos because then Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is invalid. Um, the the Indian uh, health, uh, self-determination or um, education that's also irrelevant. So what they're getting at is they're trying to erode and destroy us from within. And this is also because of the BLM lands, the Bureau of Land Management, 
and the tribal nations under BIA that have land leases, natural gases, oil, um, those things under the reservations. And that's where, that's why these big corporations are trying to come and help the Brackeens because if they can erode some of that sovereignty and say we're a race of people and not a political entity, they can really destroy and wreak havoc on our reservations. They can destroy our ability to generate revenue and they can do a lot of things, uh, uh, based on this one case, because uh, a lot that happens in the Supreme Court, usually what happens is if a tribe wins, it's generally only good for that tribe. And if the if a tribe loses in the Supreme Court, it's generally applied to all Indian tribes. So it kind of gets kind kind of get sorted in a way. So you got to be really careful about what you take to court and how it goes to court. And that's why a lot of tribes watch the Supreme Court itself to see which way they're swaying. And if you've got Republican-nominated uh, uh, justices, you know, it, it's kind of a scary thing because they're very uh, pro-state. Most Republicans are very pro-state. And if those Supreme Court justices do what they're supposed to do, they, they can, you know, they, they could rule in favor of the states. And then we no longer have to deal with um, the federal government. We'd have to deal with the states and then we become a race. So it's, it's kind of scary. You know, it, we're, we're, we're really fragile. And that's why they call Indian policy that swing of the pendulum. So it just depends on how the courts view us. At times, we've lost a lot of cases. And at times we've won quite a few cases. So right now we're in a positive swing of Indian policy. Um, but all, a lot of native scholars, uh, legal scholars, um, and, and just general, general, uh, governance, uh, policy scholars are, are, are questioning when that swing is going to go back, you know, when it's going to go back to the negative because it always does, it ebbs and flows as, as, as law and policy does. Well, if this uh, starts swinging back, this is a this is almost a death knell. I it mean, it could be very, very well. It could be a <laughs> it would be a, a uphill battle for many tribes, and I'm hoping that our tribe uh, got involved. You know, we don't talk about stuff like this, and, and I wish we had. You know, our tribal people should know about things, and our government should inform our people of these things that are on the horizon. You know, um, there's some scary stuff out there. Maybe they approve the money for the attorneys in in, uh, in uh, executive session, but they should have at least told the you know our members that hey, we 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 signed on on this amicus brief. It should have been on uh, in the Wodok. Wouldn't that be awesome that we know that we're helping to fight and maintain our sovereignty? Isn't it, wouldn't that be great to know that we're doing something like that? Well, I contacted the. Um, boy, I forget her name, and I'm drawing a blank. Um, the editor, uh, Ardith? I can't remember her name. Now. I don't want to... Ardith Snowball? No. But um, she said that they, recently, they've only written two articles on ICWA. Um, I've also contacted uh, Sharice Davis, and I uh, haven't heard... She gave me a couple of canned responses back, but she hasn't said anything about the... Uh, ICWA case, I asked, um, I texted our attorney general, and he's never gotten back to me. 
So I kind of wanted to reach out to, I didn't reach out to anybody in the legislature or the president's office, but um, I did want to say that, uh, what is it, Amanda White Eagle, uh, President uh, Marlon White Eagle's wife, she did write an article, uh, I think October of 22, um, in support of uh, ICWA. So if anybody wants to check that out, I think that's uh, pretty good. But um, one thing that kind of bothers me um, is the the amount of money you were talking about. I was looking this up, and what Gibson Dunn is, I think, is the law firm. God, I can't find anything in these notes. But um, they represent two of the three largest casinos in the world. Yeah. And that they also um, filed a legal complaint uh, saying that tribal gaming is unconstitutional and that they're using the same argument. So this uh, ICWA is just one point of a concentrated effort to get rid of uh, Native Americans, it seems. And no, and who knows about it besides, you know, why didn't we know more about it? Is it well, you know, I, I, I can't speak for anybody i i know about the i know about these cases because one i was uh um in school you know i was getting my master's and it was an important note and we you know have to keep your eyes abreast of what's happening secondly you know we don't really uh pay attention outside of what's going on in wisconsin and what's going on in the tribe we as tribal people should really pay attention to everything that's going around uh, across the country you know uh, if if we can't help other tribes uh, defend themselves against states, and if we can't get to defend uh, the individual tribal members, you know we could lose a lot. And and people don't realize how delicate we we really are. We're in a precarious situation, and we have to be mindful of uh, our sovereignty. You know, when you go to another, if you're a, a, a legislature. And, and you go to a county and ask for help and support from their judiciary, you're basically eroding the sovereignty of the Ho-Chunk Nation by saying uh, we're not strong enough to handle our own legal matters or issues. So it, it really can become a real sticky mess if you don't know what you're doing. And if tribes... If, if our leaders don't pay attention to what's on the national stage, you know, we could get we can get sucker punched very easily. And a lot of people don't know about Bracking, right? Well, me included. Oh, yeah. So how <laughs> did you find out about Bracking? It was just I just stumbled across it and then I started looking at it and that and then um uh it was the podcast, um but Rebecca Nagel this land. And I had heard an interview her online, and then I listened to the podcast, and pretty terrifying stuff. Pretty terrifying stuff. I recommend everybody take a listen to that. That um, this land by Rebecca Nagel. It's a really good podcast on the subject. And there's more material out there, but yeah, that's how I stumbled across it, and that's why I kind of contacted you because really ignorant of it. And the decision is coming up here in about a couple weeks. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm hoping that it's going to be. Um, it looks and it sounds like it's going to be positive for the tribal people. You know, there was a 
um, the, there's a, a lower case that had made a decision. They issued um, a 325-page uh, a decision. It was a three a three three panel judge as um and Blanc, I think, or I can't remember exactly um the term that they used, but it was um it, it, it's really important for us to pay attention to these things. And and I don't know how we can get more information out other than, you know, how, do, how shouldn't our president also know about this? Shouldn't shouldn't our legislature know about this? And shouldn't they be sharing national issues with the people? You know, I'm I know we paid attorneys. I'm sure we paid attorneys to take care of this for us, right? And unfortunately, it's probably all done in executive session, hush hush, under legal advice or whatever. But what you know, shouldn't we, the people, know that we're helping to support this stuff? Shouldn't our leadership tell us of issues that are on the horizon and what's happening and, and how they're they're protecting us? I, you know, I don't know. Well, especially this. This is uh, and if we we're paying law firms, um, really major law firms. You think that they would share that information, maybe not with us, but with the legislature and the legislature would share it with us. Just to kind of reiterate, just to jump on your point here a little bit. But um I just, I just, I mean, my ignorance, you know, I just, I'm bringing it up now and it's the last moments. And if, I just don't know if anybody else knows about it. Yeah. Give me a call. Um, you know what, tell us what, you know, if you're a legislator, I don't know if any legislators listen or not, but if, um, you're a legislator and you know that, uh, you guys did something to help this, uh, forward, move this forward. If the president's listening, I don't know if he listens, but, if anybody's listening and you know that we tried to do stuff, you know, contact me, contact somebody, contact the Woduck. You know, let's get this out there. Let's share this information that, you know, this is, this is important stuff. That's why I always call us citizens, you know, instead of just, you know, tribal members, tribal members, we're not, we're, we're citizens of the nation. And I think we've got to start looking at it like that. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on that, that point. And, you know, uh, I, I think I've said it in the past and, uh, you've heard me kind of rail and, you know, this is a, this is, this government's a, this is a Mecha de Wojka. Our government it is a, a democracy and it's something that we as a tribal people really didn't do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our, our, our traditional way of governance is, is in total opposite of, of how we run our government now. Um, you know, I've said we perpetuate poverty and, and that's so that our services and programs can, you know, help our people. But, you know, it's it's a government and we forget that. And I wish I wish more of us would remember that we're this is you know, the the tribe is a is a tribal government. You know, we individual people are tribal members. And we, if our tribal government doesn't exist, if it didn't exist anymore, we would still be ho chunks, wouldn't we? And if we practice those same religious ideals and cultural uh, uh, actions, and, and we still spoke our language, not saying all of us do or are fluent, wouldn't we still be tribal people without a government? I don't know. 
but I agree with you. We, we, we are citizens of the nation and, um, sometimes we forget that. And I think we need to, to bring that back up. You know, we are, we are government. Yeah. Cause like I said, well, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, I just want to thank you for coming on and explaining a little bit about this. I, um, I don't know if we helped or we hurt, um, but <laughs> because well, you know, there's a lot of information out there on the internet. If you if you look it up at Brakeen, B R A C K E E N versus Holland, which is H A A L A N D. There's a lot from um, a lot of the big law universities, Harvard, Stanford. Um, the Supreme Court has a blog that they talk about, you know, if you want the, the particular details and the, and the, and the, uh, the briefs to, if you want to read, there's a lot of information out in, in the, uh, interweb, as you call it. So, <laughs> you know, you can make your own decisions and there's a lot of really well-written information that's in layman's terms. Um, that's helpful. And of course, if you listen to, um, uh, um, not is that Rebecca Nagel? Nagel? Yeah, Rebecca Nagel. Yeah, so yeah, for this, this is this is our land or whatever. Yeah, that I listened to that podcast. It was pretty interesting. Um, she's a Cherokee out of, but anyway, yeah, you, it, it's there's a lot of information, and it's really important that we, the people, we, the tribal members, we, the citizens of the Ho-Chunk Nation, um, look at the look at the national level and the state level to see what's going on. All right, well, I uh, just wanted to say thank you for coming on here uh, this late in the week. And uh, you have a good holiday, and if I don't see you, stay out of trouble. Yep, take her easy. All right, bye. Have a- hey, just in case nobody's been keeping tabs, we got an election here in about two weeks. Now in a week's time, Tuesday, June 6th. Our um, general election is being uh, held. Looks like just three legislative seats are being contested. We got uh, District 1, Seat 2, Amanda Decora v. Rodney Rave. District 2, Seat 1, uh, Samantha Day v. Uh, Robert Funmaker. And District 3, Seat 3, Darren Brinegar v. Sarissa Rickman. Good luck to all you candidates. I hope you all had an opportunity to get your message out, and I hope you are all able to get your backers to the polls. Uh, Just a quick little aside, something I paid scant attention to was this uh, secretarial election that is on the ballot. Now, I've read verbatim what the election board has published in a WODAC concerning this. Um, I'm not going to read the uh, whereas and all that stuff. I'm just going to get to it. Um, Amendment 1, Article 4, General Counsel. Section 3, Powers Retained by the General Counsel. This is what they want stricken. This is what um, the Secretary of Election is about. The General Counsel branch delegates delegates authority to General Counsel Agency to selection, hire, manage, and supervise General Counsel branch personnel to a Accomplish the task mandated by general counsel. Voters will be asked a yes or no question. A yes vote will be in favor of the amendment removing the section of the Constitution. A no vote will be against the amendment and to leave the Constitution unchanged. 
uh, let me see, pursuant to Article 13, Section 1, Election Code, Section 3.BB, 30% of eligible, eligible voters must cast a vote either for or against the proposed amendment for the amendment to be valid. If less than 30% of eligible voters participate, the amendment shall be deemed to not pass. Um, I seriously don't think this is going to be a serious consideration. We just got over 20% um, people registered voters to vote in the general, I mean, the primary election. What do we got? 62, 62.56, I think it, it was the last count of eligible voters. And I think we had uh, 1288, 1288 votes. That's just over 20%, um, 20% and change. Um, we need 30%, so we need like uh, 1,800 people to vote with just three seats running. Um, yeah. Anyways, I looked in the WODOC and I can't find any legislators pending an op-ed as to why this particular piece of legislation uh, was proposed and what the legislature hopes to achieve with the secretarial election. Uh, I'm not foicing some conspiracy of the legislature to converting the Constitution for their own gains and power. Hush. I'm just saying I'm unaware of why this was necessary and who was pushing this idea. It just seems weird that the last three attempts to relegate the general counsel to constitutional authority have all been instigated by the legislature. From instituting the office of the general counsel, which happened to be under the authority of the legislature, to discontinuing the funding of the office of the general counsel, to asking for the removal of this section of the constitution that deals directly with the operation of the general counsel. Once again, our legislature legislators who took an oath to abide by our constitution and work for the betterment of our nation and our people and instead it appears that they are chipping away at the only real check on their power it just kind of makes you go hmm perhaps there's been a lot of talk about this amongst the people in various communities and i was just not kept in a loop seriously it was my fault for not taking a more proactive stance on this issue and bringing members who worked on our Constitution on and asking them why they felt the way they did when wording this was placed in our Constitution. My bad. And I understand that we didn't do ourselves any favor all those years ago by getting rid of the General Counsel Agency. But once again, I don't think anyone saw our legislature attempting to usurp the only organization in the nation that could be a check on their power. And by the way, whose idea was this? Was it a Ho-Chunk citizen? Or was it an attorney who we paid a council or legislature? I'm just asking. In the end, like I said, I seriously don't see us getting 30% of our population to the polls. Like I said, we just got over 20% of our voting population out in March for a presidential election. But, and it's a big but, if we do get that number out to participate, we had better vote no. We do not want to be messing around with our Constitution at this time and cede any more unchecked power to our legislature. Personally, I think the safest thing would be for everyone to not participate this time around, just to be on the safe side. Well, Pete, to all six Ho-Chunks running for legislature, 
I pray you maintain your independence and integrity and you strive and work for our people and government to be free from outside influence and operate our institutions in an open manner. Hanach pinara jiwina jige hanichawigi hiraki kara uwianje. Please watch over me.